welcome to This Week in Video Games, episode 86. My name's Tom Kershaw, and this is a podcast all about the world of video games. Well, this week, I've been playing Deathloop, the new time loop action game from Arcane Leon, and I've also been checking out New World from Amazon Game Studios, which finally released this week. I'm also going to be reviewing Kenner Bridge of Spirits, plus rounding up all the info from the latest Nintendo Direct, plus bringing you my first impressions of the Halo Infinite multiplayer flight test, so there's plenty to get into today, so let's get to it. Welcome to the show, everyone. I hope you're well and you're having a good week. Now, I'm good this week, and we seem to have entered a very busy period in the gaming calendar as we gear up towards the holiday season. So we're being spoiled as gamers at the moment, and it seems like there's high-profile releases each week. Well, this coming week, we've got the new OLED Nintendo Switch, and also, after many, many years, a new 2D Metroid. So really, really exciting stuff. Plenty to be excited about this week, and talking to Nintendo, I will be back later on in the episode to round up their recent Nintendo Direct. Oh, before we get into the show, I wanted to plug the podcast Patreon, so you can send in your questions and your stories for community questions by signing up to Patreon. So for as little as $2 a month, you can sign up and become a patron, where you can access exclusive Discord rooms. You can send in questions and comments to be read out on the This Week of Video Games podcast, and you can also access exclusive content and early access too. Well, there's plenty of benefits over there on Patreon, plus you get to support the show and help This Week in Video Games become a little bit more self-sufficient. Well, that is it for my waffly intro and that Patreon plug, but let's get into what I've been playing this week. Well, this week I've been checking out Deathloop, the new one from Arcane Studios. And this one is great fun, and I'm sure it's going to be in the conversation at the end of the year for Game of the Year 2021. And that conversation isn't too far away. So I'd love to hear what your top games of the year are so far. You know, Comment down below on the YouTube version or send me a message via Patreon and I'll read it out on the show. I've also been diving two feet first into a new MMO called New World, and that one is from Amazon Game Studios, and it is great to get in on the ground floor of an MMO, and so far I'm really, really enjoying myself. It is going to be interesting to see what it's going to be like when I get to the end game. However, I'm on the road to there at the moment, so we'll be back in a few weeks' time to let you know how it's going. I've also been lucky enough to take part in the second flight test for Halo Infinite's multiplayer, and that included various multiplayer modes, so they had Big Team Battle, they had Regular Slayer, where you can play against other players or you can play against bots. So I'm a massive fan of the Halo franchise, and it's shaping up pretty well. So I'm really, really looking forward to December the 8th when it releases. Well, finally today, I've also been playing Kenner Bridge of Spirits, and this one is a Pixar movie come to life on the PS5 and the PC. And it does have some old tropes in terms of video games gone by, but it is still a very entertaining adventure. And I do think it's worth your time. And I'm going to bring you my review of that later on in the show. Well, as always, you can jump around using the timestamps down below so you can pick and choose a bit of the show that you want to listen to. But first up today, let's check out my review of Deathloop. So Deathloop is a new one from Arcane Leon, and it's all about killing people to break the time loop you found yourself in. So you wake up on a beach with no memory, with someone called Juliana goading you over the comms, and it's your job to investigate the area, line up eight specific kills in one day, and then hopefully you're going to be able to escape this living nightmare. 
Well, Deathloop is a really interesting game. You know, gameplay and mechanics aside, simply from a publishing angle, this is an interesting one. So, this is a PS5 console exclusive, created by Arkane and published by Bethesda, who are now owned by Microsoft. So, given the deal was done before Microsoft bought Bethesda back in 2020, plans have stayed the same. But I don't think it's going to be too long before we see Deathloop on Xbox Game Pass, but for now, you can check it out on the PS5 and also the PC too. Well, Arcane is known for creating their rich worlds with stealthy mechanics and a series of abilities, and Deathloop feels like a culmination of sorts, taking elements from Dishonored and Prey and taking the best bits and producing something with a really tight narrative, great feeling gameplay mechanics, plus you throw in the mixy time loop elements and you've got yourself a great feeling game and it draws you back time and time again. Now, at its core, this is a first-person shooter and allows you to pick your path through a series of set-piece levels, allowing you to stealthily creep up on your enemies or go in all guns blazing. But whereas in previous Arcane Leon titles, you would have been a significant disadvantage to ignore the stealth, here you aren't faced with too many restrictions. So yes, you can sneak up on pretty much everyone and kill them, and you are going to be doing a lot of killing in this game, but usually you can fight your way out of a tight spot with a gun as well. I do think it's a smart choice as it's going to open up the game to the masses. However, the drawback is it can feel a little bit easier and you can feel kind of handheld and led through much of the game. So you play as Colt Van and you wake up on a beach with little memory as to what's happened before and you slowly piece together what's going on through a combination of notes, artifacts and Juliana who's constantly insulting you down the comm. So Deathloop is set on an arctic island which is stuck in a time loop and it's been created somehow by eight visionaries and they are the key to the loop. Patrolling the island at all times are members of the cult called Eon and they've been given clear instruction to shoot you on sight if you get spotted so it's definitely best to keep out of their way. So it's your job to track down and kill all eight visionaries in a single day and thus break the loop. And while you're getting your bearings in this world, you also have Juliana to worry about as she can invade your game at any moment's notice and hunt you down. So you do have to keep your wits about you at all times. Well, in the early hours of the game, it is a little bit tricky to get to grips with what's going on. So there's plenty of characters to know, weapons and loot to learn, as well as the environments to map out. So I would say don't worry too much about this early on and push through that slight sense of confusion as things will open up and all become clear with time and you'll get to grips with the environments, the time of day and all of the loot mechanics. You know, the game is meant to be played over and over, so if you don't quite know your way around at first, don't worry. It clears up quite quickly with experience and this isn't one of those games that's going to get good after 20 hours. It is much quicker than that, but saying that I did find the beginning was a little bit more confusing than most. So the world you inhabit is a really stylish one, inspired by the 70s, and it's a hedonistic murder island crawling with cultists, and they are looking to kill you. So Arcane have done a great job building up the world, from the detailed environments with the artifacts all over the place. For example, you've got notes, audio messages, and computers to kind of dig into or hack into. And the world building here is fantastic, and really brings Deathloop alive. So if you're a fan of Dishonored, then you're going to feel right at home in Deathloop. So the main difference here is you have guns and gadgets, and early on in your playthrough you're going to pick up a weapon, as well as something called a hackamajig jig that allows you to interrupt these security signals and generally mess with your enemies. So as you make your way around the areas, as well as the cultists you have to deal with, and they've got these massive guns, 
There's also automated turrets everywhere that simply point the hackamajig in the right direction and now it's yours. There's also cameras everywhere as well, but again, the hackamajig really helps you out and you can turn them off remotely. Well, there's a pretty good array of weapons, including pistols, automatic weapons, rifles, and they all feel really, really good to you. So Destiny is normally my standard of gunplay, but the guns in Deathloop really feel like they've got weight to them. So Arcane have even taken inspiration from Destiny and other loot-based games by adding in different rarities of weapons, so there's a decent incentive to come back and take on bosses time and time again because of a chance at a drop for some loot. Well, at the start, you are going to lose everything when you die or the time loop when it resets. But as you progress through the early hours, you're going to pick up the ability to keep a few weapons through new time loops. So you don't have to worry too much about losing that great drop you just picked up. But it does cost currency, though, so do spend it wisely. Complementing the weapons are items called slabs, and they are augment, and you can use them to modify your abilities. So visionaries tend to have these slabs. As you kill them, you're going to pick up more powerful abilities as you tick off these bosses as you make your way through the game. For example, Shift is a slab that you pick up from a visionary called Charlie. And this is similar to something called Blink in Dishonored. This is a short-range teleportation ability, and it comes in really handy when you're fighting everyday enemies. Nexus is another really useful slab in Deathloop and allows you to chain together enemies. So basically what happens to one of them happens to all and that is going to really come in use, especially when you need to kill eight targets in a single day. Now, these slabs, they're all really powerful. However, there's nothing really new here from Arcane. Most of the slabs we've seen before in Dishonored. Arcane appears to have made a significant effort to make this game quite easy to pick up and play. For example, your power bar regenerates rather than having to find potions or items to recharge, allowing for ease of use when it comes to abilities. So on one hand, it's great for beginners, although later in the game it does feel like Deathloop is holding your hand just a little bit too much. Now, early on in the game, I was really thankful for these techniques, especially the reprise slab, and that gives you three lives and room to make some mistakes. Now, I think if the game had started off too hardcore, then many would be put off. But thankfully, later on in the game, you can turn off waypoints and other hand-holding systems, and that gives you more freedom to explore and also more freedom to make mistakes too. So these are small, tight little loops that you'd experience in something like Hades, and it is different in Deathloop because individual playthroughs can take hours at a time. One clear benefit of this slightly easier difficulty is more freedom to express yourself with solutions. So for example, you can play very stealthily, sneak up on everyone and take them out in silence. Or you can simply let your guns do the talking and it's very highly likely you're going to manage to shoot your way out of a situation and get back to safety without too much bother. So early on in Deathloop I was playing a big stealthy game, being careful not to set off alarms or disturb enemies too much. However, I found out after a few hours into the game I could actually go into an encounter with a gun and about 8 times out of 10 I could shoot my way out. Personally, I'm not really accustomed or really enjoy stealth games that much, so this was an absolute revelation to me, and it allowed me to enjoy Deathloop that much more. So time isn't on a constant progression in Deathloop, as the name might suggest. So the day is split into quadrants, and you can play these out in various locations. So you start off in the morning, you go into an area through a network of tunnels, and when you come out, time will progress. There isn't a constant timer counting down or slowly moving the day forward, so there is room to breathe and explore the area in quite a lot of detail. So it does mean, however, you are going to have to have some crafty ways to get the visionaries together 
given the limitations and the numbers you have to kill in total in a single day. So as you play through the various leads, these opportunities will present themselves, so it's fun uncovering the clues and the overlapping story points. For example, two of the visionaries are lovers, they've been sneaking off to the beach for a little bit of hanky-panky, and that seems like the perfect time to bump them both off. Well, there is a certain amount of progression between loops, whether you finish the day or you get killed. So there's a handy screen on your inventory where you can save notes and you've got clues that you find scattered about the island. For example, things like door passwords. But early on in the game, you're going to find out about something called Residium. And you can use that to infuse weapons and therefore carry them from loop to loop. And it makes the first few loops pretty tough as you're figuring things out, how it all works and fits together. But it certainly makes things easier as you progress. So slabs and trinkets carry forward too. Trinkets being upgrades for your weapons, which can increase aim assist or reduce reload time and other various things like that. So Deathloop is a game that you're going to master over time. There's a couple of phases to the story. So first of all, you're going to be killing all the visionaries and collecting their powers. And then second, you bring all the elements together and you find out the origins and the purpose of the loop. Now, it's all pretty complex, but the game is brought together really well with great writing and expressed through the characters and the NPCs but also the environments as well. So the Eon cultists stumble around drunk most of the time, and that really helps you when they're chasing after you with a gun, but it all plays into the hedonistic, violent backdrop of the Deathloop sandbox. So you've got two main modes in the game. You've got Break the Loop, which is everything I've described so far, where you play as Cult, or you've got Protect the Loop, where you get to take your chance and play as Juliana to go and hunt down Cult. So not too long into the game, you will notice that Juliana jumps into your playthroughs and you are online by default, meaning random people can come into your game and mess with you. And it does make things tense because once you see that notification that Juliana has entered your game, you could be in for a hard time, especially now the game is new and the player population is large. For example, I was all the way through a loop into the evening when a random came in and killed me and I was so close to the end. I hadn't killed all the visionaries at that stage, so it wasn't really wasted progress, but still, it was quite tough. Well, playing as Juliana and jumping into a random game is a big appeal of the online mode for me, as you can really do some damage and mess with your friends, or you can mess with randoms too. Set traps or simply run in there and gun down Colt, or you can snipe from a distance, and you can mess with the locks to the mines, so Colt has to hack his way back to safety. There's plenty of ways to mess with Colt in the PvP-focused mode, but I have heard reports of people turn this to friends-only mode, and you can also turn it off so you're not online, and Juliana is AI-only, which does make it much easier given the AI in the game isn't that hard at all. So one thing with the online mode to take note of is you can't pause it, but when you're offline and Juliana is AI, then you can pause. So if you want to do that and you want to go about your day and come back to it later, then you can. So in summary, Deathloop is a really solid game. It's been getting rave reviews from some outlets, with a few tens here and there. Now, I've certainly enjoyed my time with it so far, but it is a time investment and it's fairly complicated to pick up, so there are a bunch of barriers to entry. However, I would recommend pushing past those barriers, and then you've got a game with a rich story, great feeling weapons, and a combination of PvE and PvP game modes to really keep you busy. It's also really replayable, given the nature of the loop, and probably the best game for newcomers from the library of Arcane Leon. Well, the game was developed by Arcane, it was published by Bethesda, it was released for PS5 and PC, and it was originally released on the 14th of September, 2021. Well, that is it for my review of Deathloop. Really, really fun game. Definitely recommend jumping in. But next up, I've got something a little different. 
Support for This Week in Video Games is brought to you by Manscaped, who are the best in men's below-the-waist grooming champions of the world. And Manscaped offers precision engineering tools for your family jewels. And Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawmer 4.0, all across Europe. Join 2 million men worldwide who already trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. And it's 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code TWIVG at manscaped.com. So I'm one of the first few people to try the 4.0, and to be honest, I'm blown away by the performance, the craftsmanship, and the details on the 4.0, they're definitely next level. So trimming downstairs is something that women have been doing for years, but for us men, it's a relatively new concept. But trust me, your significant other is going to thank you for that care and attention you're giving yourself through the Lawnmower 4.0. Their fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. This upgraded trimmer includes a multi-function on-off switch that can engage in travel lock and it also gives you the ability to turn the 4000K LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. Well, the Lawnmower 4.0 even allows you to customise your trim through additional guard lengths with sizes 1 to 4. Well, did I mention the wireless charging? Well, the new wireless charging system uses electromagnetic induction, which can help the battery length last even longer. Well, it's time to get your own ball and hair body trimmer with Manscaped to make me time the best time and enhance your confidence with some nice smooth boys. We can get 20% off and free shipping with the code TWIVG at manscaped.com. That is 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code TWIVG. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. So I definitely recommend Manscaped. Products are really, really good. And if you use my code, you will be supporting This Week in Video Games. Well, that is it for the ads. But next up, let's have a look at a roundup of the recent Nintendo Direct. Nintendo was back with a very short notice drop for a Nintendo Direct on the 23rd of September 2021. And Nintendo promised the Direct would be mainly focused on games releasing in 2021. But you know these things, there's always going to be a few surprises here and there. Well, we certainly got those and a whole lot more. Well, let's jump into the roundup of the Nintendo Direct from September 2021. Well, first up, we had the new expansion announced for Monster Hunter Rise. And that one is called Sunbreak. And that was coming in summer 2022. So Monster Hunter Rise is definitely one of the best games on Nintendo Switch. It's great to see this getting a little bit more life, so looking forward to that one coming out. Well, Mario Party Superstars was up next with more details about the minigame field title coming to Nintendo on October the 29th, 2021, and that isn't very far away at all. So this Mario Party game looks much better than the previous instalment on Nintendo Switch. Well, next up, we had an interesting one. So this one is called Voice of Cards, The Isle of Dragon Roars. And that one is coming from Square Enix. It looks like an interesting take on a console-based card game. Probably not for me, as I never really seem to get card games like this, but the take on the genre was very, very interesting. Well, next up, we had Disco Elysium, the final cut. That is coming to Nintendo Switch with pre-orders available now. And this was one of the best games of the year when it debuted back in 2019. And it's a fantastic game with a really deep and branching narrative. So I'd say if you're interested in this one, now is a great time to check it out. Well, next up, we had Hyrule Warriors Expansion Pass 2, Guardian of Remembrance. That one is coming soon. To be honest, this one isn't for me, but it does seem to have found an audience. You know, at this moment in time, all I'm interested in from the Zelda franchise is Breath of the Wild 2, 
plus maybe the ports of Twilight Princess and also Wind Waker. You know, this one was a pass from me, but if you want to get hold of it, but you can soon on October the 29th. Well, next up, we had a surprise. It was Chocobo GP. That's a cute take on Final Fantasy crossed with Mario Kart. So this is a cartoony style kart racing game with Final Fantasy characters. So it looks like pretty standard Mario Kart style gameplay. So if you like the world of Final Fantasy with the gameplay of Mario Kart, then this one could be for you. This one is coming sometime in 2022. So we didn't get the final Smash character announcement like I thought we were going to. That is being saved for its own Smash Direct coming on October the 5th, which is only in a few days time. And Sakurai is going to be presenting the final character. And I think the presentation is going to be 40 minutes in depth. So who is it going to be? So is it finally going to be Waluigi or is it going to be Sakurai himself? We're definitely going to find out soon. So Kirby was next up in a new game called Kirby and the Forgotten Land. And that one is coming in spring 2022. This one is being developed by HAL Labs, who work in the same building as Nintendo, and apparently work very close to the team who brought us Super Mario Odyssey, so we're going to see if anything has rubbed off on them. So Kirby looked great in this 3D platformer, showing off plenty of classic Kirby abilities, and this one definitely has been added to my watch list, and I will be going in depth with this one in a future episode of the podcast. Next up, we had another future direct announcement that Animal Crossing is getting its own direct in October 2021, and we're going to get news on content updates and also find out more about what's coming up in the world of Animal Crossing. Mario Golf is getting some updates, including new characters and courses, and Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic is coming to Nintendo Switch in November 2021. Then we've got Dying Light 2 Stay Human also coming to Nintendo Switch via the cloud. Well, Project Triangle Strategy has been renamed to simply Triangle Strategy, and that one is coming in March 2022. And this is the follow-up from the team that brought us Octopath Traveler. And it had a demo and plenty of changes been made to the game since that demo based on player feedback. So that's really, really good. This one looks like a classic turn-based RPG with HD 2D pixel art on a 3D background. And it's all looking really, really cool. And I really can't wait to play that one. Well, next up was Metroid Dread, and that was shown off, and it was the final trailer before the release coming up this week. And Metroid has never looked so good, and I really can't wait to play this on Friday. And that one, of course, is coming out coinciding with the OLED Nintendo Switch, and we'll be bringing you my review of Metroid on the next episode of the podcast. Well, then we had a big announcement, so Nintendo 64 and Sega Genesis, or Mega Drive games, they're coming to Nintendo Switch Online, so both systems are coming with controllers too, and they can be picked up for $50 each, or your local region equivalent. So this is going to be a new tier on the subscription package, so Nintendo can once again demonstrate being the masters again us to pay for stuff we've already had before. Now, slightly worryingly, they haven't announced the price or the tier just yet, but you know, who am I kidding? It doesn't really matter. I'd pay whatever they ask just to play Ocarina of Time once again. But next up, let's have a look at a list of all the games coming. So first of all, with the Nintendo 64 games. So we've got Super Mario 64, Mario Kart 64, Star Fox 64, Yoshi's Story, The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. That is a massive game. Winback, Cova Operations, Mario Tennis, Dr. Mario 64, and then we've got Sin and Punishment. So then we got the Sega Genesis games, or the Sega Mega Drive games for those in Europe and the UK. We got Castlevania Bloodlines, Contra Hard Corps, Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine, Echo the Dolphin, Goldnax, Gunstar Heroes, Musha, Fantasy Star 4, Ristar, Shining Force, Shinobi 3, Sonic the Hedgehog 2, Streets of Rage 2, and we've also got Strider. That is a massive announcement to bring N64 games, and I think that one was speculated and expected, but to bring you Genesis and Mega Drive games, wow, that really just blew my hat off. 
Well, next up, we probably had the funniest announcement from the Direct, with Miyamoto coming out and announcing the theatre release date for North America for the Super Mario Brothers movie, and that one is coming out in Christmas 2022. Then we had a cast announcement, so we got Chris Pratt playing Mario, Seth Rogen playing Donkey Kong, Jack Black playing Bowser, and the internet just immediately blew up after this with Mario Brothers movie memes. Now, it wasn't so long ago that Ryan Reynolds played Pikachu, but so I guess it isn't really super weird, but still, the internet just kind of went crazy, and it is going to be interesting to see what this movie is all about. Well, next up, we had the big showcase for Splatoon 3, that is coming in 2022, and then the show closed out with Bayonetta 3, and that one was announced in 2017, and Nintendo basically said sorry for the wait. It looks really good, and hopefully it's going to be worth the five-year wait. Well, that concludes the Nintendo Direct. Probably the biggest thing for me was the Nintendo Switch Online announcement of Nintendo 64 and Sega Genesis games. You know, really looking forward to playing Ocarina of Time once again. So it has been a few years since I played that one. I think it probably was on the N64 when it first came out, when I first played through it. And it is going to be interesting to see what it holds up and what doesn't. So I do have a feeling that the Genesis games are going to play great on Nintendo Switch. So other games I'm looking forward to include Triangle Strategy in March. Kirby's next game looks great. And we got the final Smash character announcement coming up on the 5th of October. The Monster Hunter Rise expansion should be really good too. And it's also going to be interesting to see the next steps for Animal Crossing. So loads of stuff there. Really love to hear what you think. So get in contact through patreon.com forward slash this week in video games. Well, that is it for the roundup of the Nintendo Direct in September 2021. But next up, let's have a look at the all-platform charts. Well, at 10 this week, down two places from last week's number eight, it's WarioWare, Get It Together. And number nine this week, down seven places from last week's number two, it's Marvel Spider-Man, Miles Morales. Number eight this week, up one place from last week's number nine, it's F1 2021. And number seven this week, up five places from last week's number 12, it's Super Mario 3D World and Bowser's Fury. And number six this week, up five places from last week's number 11, it's Grand Theft Auto V. And number five this week, down four places from last week's number one, it's Deathloop. Number four this week, it's a new entry, it's Lost Judgment. Number three this week, up four places from last week's number seven, it's Animal Crossing New Horizons. Then at number two this week, up three places from last week's number five, it's Minecraft. And then back in at number one, up two places from last week's number three, it's Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. So Mario Kart 8 continuing to dominate the charts, and I think it's been in the charts for a couple of years. But, you know, to be honest, I would love to see a new Mario Kart, but Mario Kart 8 is the perfect kart racing game. Well, that is it for the all-platform charts. Well, next up, let's check out my first impressions of New World. New World is here, and Amazon Game Studios have finally released their MMORPG, and so far, the reception has been very, very positive. This is a great combination of crafting, levelling, PvE and PvP, and so far, I'm really, really enjoying the experience. So New World had a tricky run up to release. You know, it was due back in March 2020, but it went through some high-profile delays, plus an alpha, a closed beta, and then recently an open beta as well. I think the team must have learned a lot from the alpha and the closed beta, as plenty of changes and quality of life improvements have been made. So New World blends RuneScape-like crafting with exploration, questing, loot, plus there's a massive PvP element too, so there's something here for everyone. So in the early hours of the game, you're going to be put through your paces and introduced to all the systems that work really well together. And then you're introduced to these zombie-like enemies and also the corruption, 
plus run through a few tutorials about hunting, gathering, and also crafting. So once you complete the initial intro, then it's off to your main settlement to get your bearings. Well, the map in New World is very big and made up of about a dozen or so regions. When you start, you're going to be randomly placed in a region, but each one has its settlement. So you've got an inn and various vendors for you to get acquainted with. The first thing you notice with New World is the sheer satisfaction from gathering and crafting. So cutting down trees, mining for iron, picking bushes and hunting for animals, it all feels really, really good. So this is one of the main elements of the game as you've got a bunch of skills you can level up through gathering and crafting. And you're going to need to level up these skills to be able to get rarer items as you progress throughout the game. So hunting and gathering early on is a great way to get your first pieces of gear. And then it's simply a matter of taking these materials back to the settlement and turning them into something you can use, whether it's armour or weapons. So once you've gathered these materials and then turn them into something nice, then you can trade items with your fellow inhabitants of Eternum if you want. So as you play, you're going to be gathering plenty of loot, whether you find loot drops from killing animals or enemies, or you craft these items yourself. You know, you're going to be gaining materials all the time, and this can either be stored at a settlement or traded via the trading post. So after a few hours in the game, you will get your bearings. You'll get accustomed to the various vendors in the town and also the quests. So quests are going to be one of the main ways to level up in New World. And that includes the main story quest, town quests, and also faction quests as well. So after an hour or so, you're going to be introduced to the three main factions in the game. You've got the Marauders, the Syndicate, and also the Covenant. So your faction is going to be another source of quests. So you're never really going to be short of things to do. Now outside the main story quests, side quests... They're fairly standard MMO-style tasks that include gathering 20 pieces of iron ore or kill five sheep and skin them, you know, that kind of mission. Then you've also got fetch quests and also other quests where you have to go to a location, read some scrolls. So there's a limited amount of variety when it comes to quests, but so far in the early game I haven't got bored of these, so it will be telling when I get more to the mid-game and closer to the end game. So numbers going up is a phrase we use a lot in these games, especially with the explosion of loot-based games over the past five years, so New World implements this pretty well, always making you feel like you're making progress towards something. So more often than not, you're going to be put out on a quest and you've got a clear objective. And then you're going to be distracted by wanting to either gather some items or you're going to be tempted to go off and kill a rare enemy. So also you've got random world spawns for the evil red corruption and they act as kind of random public world events. So there is a pretty good variety of things to do and loads of stuff to keep you busy. Well, PvP is a big part of New World, and probably the component that I'm least familiar with at the moment as I'm still levelling up my character, and I'm getting battle ready, although I do have my first war scheduled for tomorrow. You don't necessarily have to engage in PvP if you don't want to. You know, when you're in your settlement, you can set your PvP flag to be on or off, but there is an incentive to turn on your PvP flag, though, as you're going to get plenty of XP for killing enemy factions. At the moment, it's fairly novel, and having a little skirmish with the enemy faction is fun, but you do have to be careful though, because if you die, you either have to go back to your camp or to the nearest settlement, and in theory, that could be really, really far away. There's no fast travel in New World at the moment, so if you die and you haven't set up your camp, then you could be walking back to where you are, and that is going to take quite a lot of time. So PvP within the factions is one thing, but then you've got massive 50 versus 50 wars, 
where a neighbouring region will try and invade yours, and they're going to try and take over your settlement. So I've only seen what these are like through YouTube videos at the moment. I haven't taken part in one myself, but as I mentioned, I do have one tomorrow. So I will report back on what that is like. And it definitely is something I'm looking forward to, and I think it's going to give a whole other angle to New World, and a major motivation to get levelled up as soon as possible, so I can help out my faction, that is Syndicate by the way, and take the fight to my neighbouring regions. So there's plenty of weapons to get to grips with, and each one has its own levelling path. So for example, you've got a long sword, you've got a rapier, a fire staff, a life staff, ice gauntlet, a bow and arrow, an axe. There's loads of variety and lots of opportunities to play the way you want to play. So you've got close range combat with the swords and the axes, and you've got range combat with the fire staff, the ice gauntlet, and also the bow and arrow as well. So combine these weapons with the ability to create your own armour, then you could kit yourself out to be a knight or a wizard, you know, it's entirely up to you. So given the game is classless, you can pretty much choose how you want to play. Although like any good MMO, you're going to spec into a type of player, like a tank, a healer, a rogue, a ranger, a DPS, that type of thing. So I think there's a lot to be excited about with New World. And I was lucky enough I got to play in the Alpha in 2020 and then in the closed beta. And it was definitely one of my most anticipated games of 2021. And now it's out. I'm really enjoying my time with it so far. So the game feels really optimised now compared to the alpha and the closed beta and it's clearly been on a few rounds of feedback. But in regards to the negative, the game sometimes does feel a little bit somewhat confused about what it wants to be. So I'm interested to get to the end game and see how it feels there because like any MMO, really the game starts at the end game. So at the moment I'm in the early stages of the game, somewhere between 10 and 15 hours and I'm getting to grips with the quests, the items, the levelling up. I still have a long way to go to hit the max level of 60, but I'm really looking forward to that journey. You know, I really want to join a company, take part in more PvP, and level up so I can take part in the 50 versus 50 battles. You know, I love my loot-based games, and New World appears to have plenty of it. You know, whether I'm finding it through loot drops from dungeons, or crafting it myself after a long day chopping down trees, or farming for iron and other precious materials. You know, I'd recommend New World to players who like loot-based games and if you want to get stuck into a new MMO. So I totally missed the boat on World of Warcraft and the hype surrounding that and also Final Fantasy XIV at launch. It's not often you get to get in on the ground floor of an MMO at the start and I'm really excited to see how this is going to evolve. You know, the game had a great start on Steam with a peak player count of about 760,000 players on launch day and I think this weekend it's gone even higher to 800,000 concurrent players, and it has had massive viewership on Twitch as well. And the servers did buckle under the pressure over the first few days, but I'm sure Amazon will get to grips with it, and there also have been a few problems with queuing as well. But so far, I'm having great fun, but I am interested to see the longevity of the game, and what it's going to be like to play in the endgame. But I'll be back really soon and let you know how I get on. I'd love to hear what you think of New World, so let me know by signing up to Patreon at patreon.com forward slash This Week in Video Games. I'd love to hear your thoughts on New World, and I'll read them out on the next episode of the podcast. Well, that is it for my first impressions of New World. Really, really good, and it's definitely one that's got its hooks into me. Well, next up, I want to give you some more first impressions, but this time is of Halo Infinite and the multiplayer test. Well, Halo Infinite's second public test has taken part this weekend and it allowed a bunch of players to jump in and play multiplayer early. So, so I'd heard the multiplayer component of the game was fun, but now I can say firsthand that I agree with them. So this is an early build of the game and things most definitely will change, but I'm more confident than ever that Halo Infinite is going to bring back Halo with a bang. 
So these past two weekends, 343 Studios have invited some of their fans to check out Halo Infinite with a thin slice of the multiplayer game. So there's a few core multiplayer gamers to choose from, including Slayer, Strongholds, Capture the Flag, and also Big Team Battle this weekend as well. And there's a few maps, including Live Fire, Recharge, Bazaar, and also Behemoth. So, so for a few hours over the weekend, players went up against other players, and it really brought back that nostalgic Halo feeling, and it was really, really good fun. So just a little bit of history related with me and Halo. So I mainly played Halo 2 multiplayer, having missed out on the original, and Halo 2 captured my attention, and I really played it a lot with my housemates at the time, and then Halo 3 pretty much took over all of our lives. We had two TVs in the living room, two Xbox 360s, so we could play with local comms against other teams. You know, I look back really fondly on that time in my life playing video games with some of my best friends. So fast forward to 2021, Halo and the first-person shooter market is in a really different place. So Halo back then was the dominant player in the market, although Call of Duty was about to stir things up and take the lead in the market. And Bungie was also making Halo back then, and that franchise has since transferred to 343 Studios. Well, I spent about three hours with Halo Infinite's multiplayer, either playing against bots or against human opponents, and the game feels great running on my Xbox Series X, and this is still an early build, and I imagine it's only going to get better with the full launch. So Halo Infinite's multiplayer manages to capture that great feeling I can remember from Halo 3. The game is fast, the controls are responsive, and the gunplay feels excellent. So there's nothing like running and gunning in Halo, chucking in a grenade, and then speeding in and finishing people off with a swift melee to the face. The sandbox has been switched up with the introduction of the grapple, that allows you to grapple onto other players, shooting them in the face as you speed towards them, and also finishing the fight with an elbow between their eyes. This takes the satisfying melee action to a whole nother level and add into the mix the ability to take over a vehicle or save yourself if you've fallen off the map. By grappling up a cliff edge, you know, this is really, really good fun. And I think the grappling hook just mixes up for me and is one of the best additions. So Halo Infinite invites players in with open arms and gives them the tools to create destruction and then fun ensues. So there's something about playing Halo multiplayer when you get into a rhythm. After a few hours of getting to know the maps, you know, I started to fill out the right spots to peek and take shots and also when to push and also when to hold positions. So this is what Halo should feel like and it's really satisfying for Halo Infinite to live up to expectations, especially given the delays. You know, you can see and you can feel the work that 343 has done as the game looks and feels AAA with the gunplay that matches the early Bungie era of the Halo game. You know, it is early days of course, but this is a really solid platform and hopefully Halo is only going to get better and better over time. Gunplay and feel is everything with games like this, especially given the competitive market that Halo is going to be dropped into. So Microsoft made the smart decision for the multiplayer component to be free on arrival, so it's going to go out and get into as many players' hands as possible. You've got to take into account the player base on PC and Xbox consoles too, so I'd imagine millions are going to be playing Halo Infinite days after launch. The player base is so important to the playlists out there, and if these early impressions are anything to go by, then other arena shooters like Destiny 2, Apex Legends and Call of Duty should be put on notice that Halo is back. There's going to be a few new weapons and abilities in the game, and so far I think these are great additions and work really, really well. So the grappling hook is something I mentioned before, but it shouldn't be understated that how well this has been executed and how good it feels to use to either attach onto an opponent, take him out with a melee, or use a grapple to save yourself if you get knocked off a map. It is absolutely excellent. And talking about the maps, the maps I've played so far feel great. My favourite is probably Bizarre. 
and it's got different levels to engage with enemies, doors to hide behind, and get the jump on your opponents. You've also got Recharge, and that is a classic kind of multi-level map set in some kind of facility. And you've got Live Fire that feels very much like a training ground. Behemoth, true to its name, is big, plus you've got loads of vehicles on there for quick traversal around the map. So you've got your Banshees, you've got your Warthogs, and everyone's speeding around the map. It's really, really super fun. You know, there's loads of positives to come out of the weekend's playtest. The gunplay, the look of the game, the feel, it's all great in terms of feedback. In terms of some of the constructive feedback, I'd say some of the weapons do seem a little bit underpowered compared with the Halo 2 or the Halo 3 versions, and some of the new weapons don't immediately jump out with personality, although I'm sure that will come with time. You know, 343 asked for feedback relating to the Battle Pass, and the Halo audience has been deafening with their dislike for the current system. So Halo Infinite doesn't have per-match XP, Alternatively, they have the Battle Pass progression, and that is based on challenges. So there's plenty of challenges. You never really run out of things to do. However, it doesn't feel great to have the Battle Pass 100% tied to challenges. So this method is going to ask players to play in different ways than they want to. And I can see why 343 has done this, but it would be nice to get some progressions by playing the way I want 100% of the time. Well, it's not long to wait now as Halo Infinite comes out on December the 8th. 2021 and the multiplayer mode is free for all players then you simply have to pay for the campaign if you want to now i'm definitely going to be jumping in into the campaign as it's a day one release on xbox game pass you know i really want 343 to succeed with halo infinite it's been years in the making and the feedback of 2020's e3 was shocking leading to a huge delay for halo infinite now, it looks like 343 have managed to turn it around, and that should really be applauded as they've managed to create a great multiplayer mode that lives up to that massive Halo reputation. And I can't wait to jump in on December the 8th, and hopefully I'll see you there too. Well, that is it for my first impressions of Halo Infinite multiplayer from the flight tests. I'm sure it's only going to get better from here, but the gunplay, the weapons, the movement, the speed, it was all feeling absolutely fantastic. Well, that is it for my first impressions of Halo Infinite, but next up... Let's check out Kenner, Bridge of Spirits. Well, Kenner, Bridge of Spirits was first shown at the PlayStation Showcase, and it quickly jumped onto many people's watch list. But after a few delays, the game is finally here, and Ember Labs have put together something pretty special for their first game. So there's clear inspirations from The Legend of Zelda, and this action-adventure game has got me excited for what Ember Labs may produce in the future. So at the heart of the game, Kenner Bridge of Spirits is an actual adventure, and there's puzzles and you've got boss battles as well. So at times, it does feel like a throwback to a PlayStation 3 era-style game, given it's not really open world. It's more of a series of set pieces and corridors through levels. However, there is a high level of polish here, and I think it is good enough to check out. The first thing that hits you is the striking beauty of Kenner Bridge of Spirits. You know, it's a really, really good looking game, most likely rooted in Ember Lab's past as a 3D animation house. And I have mentioned Legend of Zelda already as an inspiration, and Ember Labs went as far to create a fan film based on Majora's Mask called Terrible Fate. If you haven't seen it before, you should definitely check it out. It's really, really good. So since Ember Labs have gone on a journey to make Kenner Bridge of Spirits, and their first game is a decent start on PlayStation 5 and PC. Regarding the story in the game, Kenner is a spirit guide who helps spirits move on to the next life. They either have trouble moving on because of some guilt or some unfinished business in the world, and Kenner is your main protagonist, and we work our way through the lush environments under siege from a mysterious corruption 
and we have to make our way through to the Sacred Mountain Shrine. Along the way, we meet kids and helpful NPCs who tell stories about the world, plus you've got puzzles to solve and spirits to guide, as well as bosses to battle. The story can feel a little bit thin, as we don't really find out too much about Kenna, her motivations or who she is. So it would have been nice for the character to be fleshed out just a little bit more, as it appears as if much of the development has gone into the graphical fidelity of the game and the mechanics. As I mentioned, the game is absolutely beautiful, and the character designs are like something out of a Pixar movie, but what this game really needs is a fleshed out story. Now, it's all very much surface level, and when you scratch under that surface, it is a little bit shallow regarding the story. It's understandable, considering this is the first game from Ember Labs. You know, the team clearly loves the Zelda franchise, and the gameplay harks back to games like Legend of Zelda, Ocarina of Time. So it is fairly linear with a zone that you've got to explore, items to collect, and then a few battles to be had along the way. Although the game functions in a throwback manner, that doesn't mean it's not enjoyable at all. You know, the environments are stunning, the combat difficulty ramps up sufficiently as you progress, and really, the bosses in this game are absolutely no joke. You know, this isn't Disney's Dark Souls by any means, but there is a challenge in here for sure. So there's a formula to Kenner Bridge of Spirits. So you'll come across a lead for a new spirit, explore an area, battle various enemies, and then face off against a spirit in an effort to get the move on into the afterlife. And as you make your way through an area, you're going to learn more about the spirit subject, understand why they're stuck, and also what troubles they have, before coercing them off into the afterlife with your weapons. Talking of the weapons, combat in Kennebridge of Spirits is pretty good fun. It's fast, it's challenging, and also pretty straightforward. You know, you've got your standard light attack, your heavy attack, there's dodge combinations, and also then a few hours into the game, you're going to unlock a bow, and that certainly makes things much easier, as you can attack at range. You know, it's all just pretty straightforward, and it is good for new players, and perhaps this game is aimed at a younger demographic, given the graphical look and feel. But there isn't really much beyond what I've described, meaning there's not really much depth to the combat, you know. This certainly isn't Horizon Zero Dawn, and that is somewhat of a minus point for the game. But looking on the positive side, it's quick to pick up and play, but beyond that, there isn't really much complexity or variety in the combat. Well, early on in the game, you're going to meet the Rot. These are tiny, cute little creatures that you collect as you progress, similar to finding Korok Seeds, in Breath of the Wild. So, however, these cute little guys have much more of a purpose than simply little collectibles. You can control and direct the rot. For example, you'll be directing them around to cleanse the environment of corruption, as well as move items. You can either launch them at enemies or spirits and cause some pretty good damage. And each area has a bunch of rot to find and collect. And you can even buy them little hats. Hand in hand with combat is resource management. So, as you fight, you're going to build up courage, and that is needed to attack enemies with the rot. So this is also needed to cleanse the surrounding area. So you need to be smart as to when you use it or not. So, so if you do run out, not to worry too much. Simply attack enemies to replenish your stocks. And it does make for some interesting tactical decisions. However, as you can often have to choose between using your resources to fight or using them to replenish your health. So as you progress through the game, there's upgrade paths for your movement abilities. For example, Kenna gets a dash attack, a stronger melee attack, and also a parry reply attack. However, they don't really reward you for the time and effort that you put in upgrading Kenna in the first place. So in certain situations, they're quite useful, but given the time required to upgrade Kenna, these abilities should feel a little bit stronger, in my opinion. There's also the weapon upgrades too, and include a very useful charge bow shot, and the ability to activate slow motion, which makes taking out tough enemies much easier than at the real-time speed. 
So movement abilities are a little bit meh, but the weapon ability upgrades, they're well worth the investment. So then you got the boss battles, they are particularly good, and might I say quite challenging too. So each boss feels like its own set piece, and it doesn't feel like the mechanics have been reused, and each one feels unique and rather satisfying. Complementing the combat are the other parts of the gameplay loop as well, namely the exploring, the platforming, and the puzzle solving. So this is one of the more delightful elements of Kennebridge of Spirits. The platforming feels pretty good, exploration is satisfying, especially in a world as beautiful as this one. And the puzzles aren't too tricky, they tend to be kind of environmental puzzles where you're locked off from proceeding and you may have to engage with a rock to move something around or climb up to a new area or maybe press down a switch or some kind of activity similar to that. So, so if you've played games like Zelda before, then you're going to be really comfortable with the puzzles in Kennebridge of Spirits. You know, the puzzles are good fun and also there's plenty of secrets to find hidden away in little hidey holes So keep your eyes peeled when you are exploring. So I was really excited about Kennebridge of Spirits given its luscious introduction at the PlayStation Showcase in 2020. You know, it's hard to believe this is the first effort from Ember Labs. So there are a few drawbacks to the game in regards to the combat and the mid-2000s feel to the game. However, I do think this is a great effort from an indie team and it also makes me really excited for what they're going to do next. It is a gorgeous-looking game hands down, plus it's an ambitious new IP. In a time where we are surrounded by remakes and sequels, you know, hats off to the development team for creating a new story and a new world, and I'd recommend seeking it out, and if you enjoy single-player action-adventure games, this one could be for you. So the game was developed and published by Ember Labs. It's available for PS5 and PC via the Epic Game Store, and it was originally released on the 24th of September, 2021. Well, that is it for my review of Kenner Bridge of Spirits. You know, there's ups and downs in that game, but overall, I think I would recommend it. But next up, let's have a look at what we've got coming out in the next few weeks. over the next few weeks so first of all we've got october the 5th there's a few games here we've got alan wake remastered that's ps5 so xbox series s next playstation 4 xbox one and pc then we've got hell let loose that's coming out of ps5 and the xbox series consoles we've got jet the far shore that one's coming out on the playstation consoles and we've got lego marvel superheroes that's coming out on nintendo switch also on the 5th we've got nickelodeon all-star brawl that's ps5 Xbox Series S and X, PS4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC. And we've got Super Monkey Ball Banana Mania. That one is coming out on all the PlayStations, all the Xboxes, Switch, and PC. We've got Art of Rally. That one's coming out on the PlayStation consoles. And then Far Cry 6. That is a big one. That's coming out on all the PlayStations, all the Xboxes, Stadia, PC, and the Mac 2. So good news for all you Mac users out there. So Far Cry 6 is coming out on the 7th of October, then on the 8th of October, we've got Metroid Dread, that is coming out on Nintendo Switch. So we've got the OLED Nintendo Switch as well, that one is coming out, and I think there's a few pre-orders still available if you want to get hold of that one. We've got Tetris Effect Connected, that one is going to look fantastic on an OLED screen. And then on October the 12th, we've got Back for Blood, that's coming out on the PS5, Xbox Series S and X, PS4, Xbox One, and PC. On October the 12th, we've got Disco Elysium, The Final Cut. That one's coming out on Xbox Series S and X and Nintendo Switch. And then on the 12th as well, we've got Monster Crown. That one's coming out on PS4, Xbox One, Switch and PC. Then we've got Ori, the collection. That's coming to Nintendo Switch. And then on the 13th, we've got Slender, the arrival. That one's coming out on iOS and Android. On the 14th, we've got Dungeon Encounters. That's PS4, Switch and PC. Also on the 14th, we've got the Jackbox Party Pack 8, PS5, Xbox Series S and X, PS4, Xbox One, Switch and PC. 
Also on the 14th, we've got the Rift Breaker. That's PS5, Xbox Series S and X, and PC. And then on the 15th, we've got the Crisis Remastered Trilogy on the PlayStation consoles, Xbox consoles, Switch, and PC. Then we've got Demon Slayer, Kimetsu no Yaiba, the Hinokami Chronicles. That one's coming out on PlayStation consoles, Xbox consoles, Switch, and PC. We've got NHL 2022. That's PS5, Xbox Series S and X, PS4, and Xbox One. And then finally, on the 15th, we've got The Good Life. That's coming out on PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC. Well, loads of really good games coming out there. I think a few that catch my eyes. So NHL 22. So really love a bit of NHL. We've got The Art of Rally. That one's coming to PlayStation consoles. That one is available on Xbox Game Pass. And it is really good fun, so I definitely recommend that. We've got Metroid Dread. That is the big one. Disco Elysium coming to Nintendo Switch as well, so that's going to be opened up to a whole new audience. And we've also got Back for Blood 2. I think probably the biggest thing over the next few weeks is Metroid Dread, and I will be reviewing that on the next episode of the podcast. Well, that is it for this week's episode, and if you want to get involved in the show, get in contact through patreon.com forward slash this week in video games, or check out the latest on the website. You know, send in your questions, your comments, and your video game stories. I'm always interested in hearing from you. I'd really love to read them out on the podcast. Well, as always, thank you so much for watching or listening, and for more This Week in Video Games content like this, like, subscribe, and share with a friend. To join our community, check out the Discord link in the description, and you can follow me on Twitter at TWIVG Podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast or found it useful, liking and sharing it would really help me out. Otherwise, check out the other podcasts in the feed. Well, thanks again. I'll see you soon.